In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. And uh, I've been on something over the last few weeks entitled Savior, Redeemer, and King. And uh, we dealt uh, in the first part of this series, uh, we'll recap briefly uh, on the Savior and the Redeemer uh, when the angel came to uh, both Mary and Joseph, uh, he made the statement, he said, uh, concerning uh, Jesus, he said uh, to uh, Joseph in particular, he said, uh, you'll name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sin. Well, the name Jesus is the Greek derivative of the Hebrew word Joshua or Yeshua, and it means Savior. Uh, the word, the name Jesus means Savior. Now, that's important because when you read through the New Testament, it makes the statement, it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right? And people say, well, yeah, you call on the name of Jesus. Well, you are calling on the name of Jesus, but you're calling on your Savior. And whoever calls on the name of the Savior shall be saved. So he saved us from our sins. But being saved from our sins wasn't enough. I had to be redeemed. All right? So I could be saved from my sin, which is uh, important because it, it, it's talking about in the now tense, in the present tense, in the now season. All right? When I got saved, I was saved from my sin. All right, it means that God separated me. It's, it's a distance term. The word from, it's a distance term. All right, he saved me from my sins. We're 10 miles from uh, uh, Lenexa. All right, so that's when he saved you from your sin, there was a distance put between you and your sin. And here's the wonderful thing about it. It was like this, that when he saved you from your sin, he over, he passed over you forgot your sin and treated you like you had never done it. But that wasn't enough. I had to be redeemed from my sin. God can forgive it, but then I have to be redeemed out of it. All right, I have to be bought back. So he's my savior, but he's my redeemer. All right. And then tonight we're going to look at he's my king. Savior, Redeemer, and King. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And here's what they said. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? The Roost Bible says, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, notice this phrase. They didn't ask if a king had been born. They said, where is the king? Where is the one that was born? Now, you really need to listen tonight. Where is the king that was born? Where's the one that was born? King of the Jews. All right? So they didn't ask if he had been born. Where had he been born? They ask where he had been born. And notice, it says, For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. We've seen his star, and we're come to worship him. Now let's look at Numbers 24. These men probably would have been familiar with the prophecy uh, concerning the star that would rise out of Jacob, Numbers 24 and verse 17. And notice, now remember that this is uh, Balaam, <laughs> who was a prophet for hire. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, we'll leave that alone. But uh, in any event, you, you remember Balak had had hired him to uh, curse Israel, and of course he tried, but he couldn't. And then, even in that state, he gets over into this messianic prophecy. 
And he says, I shall see him, but not now. I will behold him, but not nigh. In other words, he's not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. All right? I, I will see him, but not now. I will behold him, but he's not near. A star will come out of Jacob. In Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 3. <clears throat> uh, the prophet Isaiah says, And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The Gentiles will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, these men, the, Matthew calls them wise men. And, uh, you know, we, we often say, you know, the three kings, uh, the three wise men. Three wise men is more biblical. The Bible never calls them kings. Uh, but that's irrelevant, but it, it's just terminology. But these men would have been influential. They would have been very rich. And uh, notice, they were willing to travel hundreds or possibly thousands of miles to worship the newborn king. All right? They, they came for that purpose. Back in Matthew chapter 2, we've got a lot of scripture this evening because we have to see it all in its context. Matthew chapter 2 and this is when, after they had uh, uh, consulted with Herod about the king. Of course, Herod was the puppet king of the Roman government, but nonetheless the king. Herod was not an Israelite. Herod was an Edomite. And uh, he, had no, he was a very cruel man, very wicked. Uh, killed two, three of his own sons uh, to keep them from ascending to the throne. Uh, so, you know, his wickedness was well known. And so they came, and of course, he lied to them. You know, when you found him, bring word, and I'll come worship him. Verse 9, when they had heard the king, they departed, and the star they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. So notice, we're not dealing with a baby any longer. We're dealing with a young child. And when they saw the star, now I say that for a reason, because it took them a lengthy period of time to get to the city. They, they weren't from just up the road. And when they were come into the house, now that word house means residence or the family home. That's what it means. All right? I've, I've read after people that said, well, this was, this was probably a, a small room above the stable that they were able to get. You know, it's amazing to me how much hogwash people have put up with to try to keep with their religious standards. All right? I mean, they, they, the only reason they didn't get a room in the beginning was there were none. Right. There, there just were none. All right? Remember, it was, it was not the Apostle Paul that came up with this statement. A man that doesn't work doesn't eat. He was quoting the Old Testament. That was God's idea long before grace. And it's still God's idea under grace. But what I'm saying is Joseph would not have been a lazy man. He wouldn't have taken his family out for them to be homeless. All right? So, but... This is important because when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, notice this phrase. Notice this phrase. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child and fell down. They fell down and worshipped him. The Roost Bible says, having fall, fallen down, they 
prostrated themselves in homage before him. Here's the thing. This word fell down. This is not voluntary. When, when, when they, it was no casual issue. When they came into that room, that home, they were overwhelmed. And there's a reason. They had encountered a presence they didn't expect. They were there looking for a king. They just didn't know what king. And when they came into the room, they encountered the king of kings. Amen. And it overwhelmed them. Glory to God. And then notice, it says, they opened, they presented him gifts. When they'd opened their treasures, their treasures, you know, their little cigar boxes. No, it wasn't cigar boxes. And it wasn't little jewelry boxes. These men were what are called magi or magians. Uh, all through history, you can read it for yourself. They were called kingmakers. Kingmakers. All right, this, this, uh, this was not some uh, group that, you know, didn't do anything but just spend time looking at the stars. The, these men were widely known. And they didn't just bring three little boxes to Jesus. One man said, this delegation was offering tribute money to a king. And therefore would more than likely have brought a whole train of pack animals. Loaded with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, Peter J. Daniels, who is an Australian billionaire, commissioned a team of historians to research the Magi and the gifts that they brought to Jesus when he was born. And their conclusion was that over 300 Magi came bearing gifts for Jesus. Some estimates are a thousand. They came bearing gifts for Jesus with a calculated wealth of over four million dollars. Mm. Hallelujah. Kind of does away with that. We three kings from Orion. Now the reason I'm saying this, notice. He was born a king, not a king in name. He was born a king. He was a king. Right? Very often now, now you know, we sing those songs. We sing that song when I was a boy growing up in church. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord. But before we're done, you'll know what that means. If he's your king, he's not your president. He's your king. All right? These men were looking for a king. And they brought that with a calculated wealth of over $4 million. They determined that the Persian documents that they were studying showed that the gift was escorted by an army. Hundreds of archers accompanied this gift. And that the reference in Matthew chapter 2 to Herod and the people being troubled was because they thought they were being invaded by an army. That's important. Because they were coming to make a king. They encountered a presence they weren't expecting. But they came to make a king. They didn't come to a stable. They didn't come and find a little baby in rags. They didn't find a poor mother and a poor father that had some bread and water. They found a king. And they had his star that guided them. Oh, hallelujah. So he was born a king. Now, let's go to John 19. He was born a king. And he died a king. John chapter 19, and we'll look at this from all the Gospels. John chapter 19, verse 13. 
It says, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that's called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. Verse 17, and he, bearing his cross, went to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title. And put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. All right. When he said, here's your king. See your king. This is your king. Luke chapter 23. And uh, verse 38. And it says, in verse 38, and a superscription was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now, why is it in Greek? Why is it in Latin? Why is it in Hebrew? Alexander the Great had conquered the world. When Alexander the Great conquered the world, Greek became the language of the world. In the Roman Empire, Latin was spoken. And in Jerusalem, of course, there were Hebrews as well. But this is the time of the Passover. This, they're coming up on the day of Pentecost. And you've got Jews from all over the world. But here's the thing. They're all over from the Greek-speaking world. Jesus didn't speak Hebrew. Jesus spoke Arabic. Most people in this day spoke Arabic. If they were a Jew, they spoke Arabic. And, but there were Alexandrian Jews. There were Hellenistic Jews there that spoke Greek, spoke and read Greek. There were Roman citizens that spoke and read Latin. There were Hebrews there that spoke and read Hebrew. And over the, 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 the head of Jesus, in every man's language, is the gospel being proclaimed, this is your king. Amen. When uh, on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost fell and, and uh, 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 filled those that were in the room, the Bible says that when they came out and they began to speak in tongues, it said that every person there, and it names where they all were from, Parthians, Alexandrians, all these different people, it says that all of them heard them speaking in their language and glorifying God. Amen. So this was before the Holy Ghost fell. This was before there could be a mass evangelism. All right. But everybody that passed by saw this is the king. This is the king. In Mark 15, Mark chapter 15. Very often what we refer to as the Christmas story which I believe downgrades it because what we refer what people refer to as the Christian story it is one of the cornerstones of your doctrine if you don't get that right your doctrine's wrong hallelujah isn't it interesting when you read through that it, it says that uh, 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 Joseph it says that Mary was found pregnant before she had known a man. She told the angel, how can that be? I've never known a man. Right? What, why is the Bible emphasizing that? Why is it emphatic about that? Because it's emphasizing the virgin birth. Because Jesus was born to the earth untainted by the curse. Untainted by, by man's heritage. Now, what, why is that? But yet born in a lineage where he qualified to be a king? 
See, if you don't understand that Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, what does it say about Jesus? It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Now, why is that important? Fast forward to the thousand-year reign of Christ. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that Jesus is going to come to the earth for a thousand years, and he's going to sit on the throne of David. He had to be born after the house and the lineage of David, and he had to physically qualify. Don't miss that. This is not a God trick. Jesus was a literal human being who qualified for the throne of David. And after the thousand-year reign, he will turn all authority back over to the Father on the earth, the Bible says that, 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 that at that time, he'll return all authority back to the Father. Amen. And then it says David will sit on the throne in Jerusalem for eternity. See, if, if, if you don't get the Christmas story right, you mess everything up. And that's, that's, how, peop, that's how people mess it up. Mark 15, 26. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. Matthew 27 and verse 37. Notice that it says this. And set up over his head his accusation written, this is the king, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, they called Jesus this to mock him. And when you read, especially through Matthew's account, it tells you all the mocking words that they said. He saved others. He couldn't save himself. You know, let's see if Elias comes, so on and so forth. They called him this to mock him, but he died as what he actually was, the king of the Jews. All right? In Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and uh, verse 2. Notice, we read this earlier, what the, uh, the, the wise men said. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? In uh, Matthew 21. <clears throat> and verse 1. And this, uh, for the sake of time, of course, this is where Jesus said, uh, you go into the city, you'll find a, 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 a donkey tied with her colt. Loose them, bring them to me. If anybody says anything, the Lord has need of them. Verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes unto you, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, Where's that spoken? Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, notice, your king comes to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Notice Matthew 21 says Jesus did that, that it might be fulfilled. Now, God in Zechariah chapter 9 speaks through the prophet and says to Zion, which was physical Israel at the time, physical Jerusalem, this is your king. Now, now understand the importance there of knowing the word. What was the problem with the religious leaders of their day? What did Jesus say to them three times? You do err not knowing the scriptures. You don't know what the scriptures have said about me. I mean, they knew that the king was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, and yet here are men that have traveled hundreds, possibly over a thousand miles from the east that says there's a king born. Where is he at? And Herod goes and says, where is he supposed to be born? And they say, Bethlehem. So they knew that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. These men are saying he's been born, yet they won't go. So Jesus, we'll read about it in a minute. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey, 
just like the prophet said he would, everything he did is screaming, I am your king. Now think about that. It was so plain, yet they willfully rejected him. Now, why did they reject him? They rejected him because that's not how they thought their king was going to come back. They did not think he was going to come back. Jesus operated in peace and love, not anger and vindication. Jesus operated in compassion and not maliciousness. Jesus didn't come to cause a political uprising. He came to cause a change of kingdom. And they couldn't see that. Because Isaiah said, your eyes you have closed, your ears you have shut. You won't see and you won't hear. Remember when Jesus was taken, taken captive in the garden after he allowed them to take him? And he said to them, he said, am I a thief and a robber that you come after me with sticks and stones and swords and lanterns and torches? He said, I was in the marketplace every day teaching. You could have come and taken me at any time. But now you're coming out like I'm a thief. Amen. So he's saying, you could have done this any time. See, the importance of knowing the Scripture is if you don't know the Scripture, there's things you can miss. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, if you don't know what's being said, you'll be deceived. And he said, in Luke, there's things that you can miss that I want in your life. Hallelujah. Your king comes to you this way. So it would not have been a surprise had they known the Scripture. Math, or, uh, Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> and uh, verse 37. It says, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Well, they're quoting Psalm chapter 118, verse 26, all right? And he says, blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Zechariah 9.9 says your king's going to come and he's going to come with peace and with glory. And David quoted Zechariah and now they're quoting David. This wasn't just natural. This is a spiritual happening. And notice this. Mm. It says... And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What would they cry out? What are they saying? Here's our king. He says, if they quit saying that, the stones would cry out and tell you I'm your king. Amen. Well, I'm here to say tonight, there's one less stone because I'm going to re remember him as my king. See, uh, uh, understand this. He is our king. He is our king. If you are in the kingdom, you have a king. Not a president. Not a democracy. Listen, here's where a lot of people make a mistake with grace. They think just because they can do something, God's okay with it. The word of the king's the word of the king. It can't be changed. You understand? If he's the king of my life, then what he says goes. What he declares is what? How my life is patterned. And he said, if they hold their peace, 
the stones will cry out. And verse 41, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Wept over it. One translation says he burst into tears, weeping audibly over it. All right? This is different than when you read in the book of John where it says that Jesus wept and he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Uh, you know, the, the, the weeping at the tomb of Lazarus was not a grief. It was not a sadness over Lazarus dying. It was, it was tears over the unbelief of the people. It was, a, it was a frustration. But yet it was something that was more of a groan. That, that's, that's what the word says. When you study that in the Greek language, it says that there was an angst in Jesus. When, when everybody kept questioning him, it was more of a groan. It was, oh, you know, right? Didn't I tell you that your brother would live again? I am the resurrection and the life. And then it says Jesus wept. Well, not over Lazarus. He about to raise him. And he, he, and he said when he stood at the tomb, he said, I've already, you've already heard me. I, I came to do this. Remember what he told his disciples? Let's go wake him up. Isn't that what he said? And the disciples said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's doing good. Well, no, hang on. Let me explain it plainly, guys. He died. All right? I got to go raise him from the dead. But here, he burst into an audible weeping. Not a still weeping, a deep lamentation. There was a man years ago in, in the, the 19th century uh, named Alfred Edersheim. And he wrote two volumes on Jesus the Messiah. And, and I was studying that one time. And uh, this, he's the one that made this statement. This is that deep groaning, that deep lamentation, this, this deepness. And people will say, well, well, why was he doing this? They were not recognizing their visitation from God. When you are in certain seasons, it is your responsibility to recognize what God is doing in your life and in that season that you're in. And Jesus is weeping because they are not recognizing their visitation. This is their hour. This is their time. This is when things can turn. All right? And they're not recognizing it. Instead, they crucified their king. Because they didn't recognize this. Matthew 28. So he was born a king. He, rose, he died a king. And he rose a king. Matthew 28. Just think about your life. Think about the way your life was till your king showed up. Think, think about how ungoverned things could be till somebody sat on the throne of your heart that could rule and reign and make things right in your life. It's, 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 you understand? When, the, when, the, when I was a boy growing up in church, we sang the song, His love's a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. From the castle of my heart, the castle of my heart. His love's a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. And it is evidence that the king is in residence there. The king is in residence there. Amen. Matthew 28 and verse 18. It says, and Jesus came, this is after he rose from the grave, and spake unto them, unto the disciples. And notice what he said. He said, he spoke unto them and said, all power, all authority, all right to rule is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, this is important because all power can only be given to an absolute ruler, a king. Now, this is important. What does the Bible call us? It says, unto our God we are priests and kings. Is that right? Priests and kings. Well, here's, here's a little uh, mathematics question for you. So, in multiplication, there are two things involved in multiplication. Who knows what they are? The multiplier and the multiplicant. Is that right? So if you have 1 times 20, what's 1 times 20? What's the multiplier? 20. What's the multiplicant? What's being multiplied? 1. It's being multiplied 20 times. Why can the Bible call us priests and kings? Because Jesus is the king. 
He's the multiplicant. We're the multiplier. That's why over and over in, in the Bible, after the, after the resurrection of Jesus, you see it says, and the church multiplied, and the number of disciples multiplied, and this multiplied. That God's will for your life is that there be multiplication. When, when you, <laughs> every, the, everything you see in the earth realm has a parent realm, which is the spirit realm. And, and we are kings and priests because our our brother, our forerunner, the one that died for us, is a priest and a king. And so he just multiplies what he is. And that's why we have that same authority, because we hold the same type of positions that he holds. He had to rise a king so that we could be kings. And, and the challenge there is to live that way. I'm not just a peasant in the kingdom I'm a king in the kingdom. Why can I enter boldly into the throne room? People say, well, because you're a son. Well, that's right, but because you're also a priest. And you have a right to go into the Holy of Holies. Amen. And, and you're not just a priest. You're a son priest or a daughter priest. And your family. Amen. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 and uh, verse 13. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man mm. came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now that the Ancient of Days is the Father, the Son of Man is Jesus, and notice they came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now somehow in, in the grace of God, Daniel tapped into what happened after Jesus rose from the grave and after he ascended to our Father and after he put his blood on the mercy seat, he was not give, given dominion and authority and a kingdom that shall not end until after he died and shed his blood and went to the heavenly place, heavenly holy place and put his blood on the mercy seat. Somehow Daniel tapped into that. And he's describing what happened to Jesus. Notice, and a kingdom, and his kingdom will not pass away. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's important. I've had it. I've had it up to my eyeballs with people talking about the church, running, running the church down. I've had it. I, I, I had it when I wrote the book, The Local Church, Hope of the World. Well, I had it again. I'm going to write another volume. I had it again because Jesus said that he would build his church on the rock of revealed knowledge and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But you've got believers, uh, well, I'll just say believers. You've got believers talking about everything that's going on in the world, talking about how bad things are. You're part of the undefeated, undefatigable, unstoppable church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. If you don't know it by now, you're living out of this everlasting kingdom with an everlasting dominion. There, are no, there is no Republican Party in the kingdom. There is no Democratic Party in the kingdom. There are no Americans in the kingdom. It's the redeemed that's in the kingdom. You're not an American in the kingdom. You're a redeemed. When you get to heaven, there's not the American section and the Korean section and the Hispanic section. It's the redeemed. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not let the white man say so or the American say so. Let the redeemed say so. Oh, hallelujah. This word, he has an everlasting dominion. Luke chapter 1. It's important that you see it this way. Luke 
Hallelujah. The Bible says that when Jesus returns uh, for his thousand-year reign, and of course Satan is put in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and a seal is set over it until the end of that thousand years. But do you remember what it says Jesus will be doing, doing in that thousand years? It says he'll be ruling the nations with a what? Rod of iron. Iron represents submission and judgment. In other words, <laughs> you don't got a choice. In, in that thousand years, you're going to live this way. Now, what happens at the end of the thousand years? Satan's loose. For what purpose? What's the Bible say? Revelation. To go tempt the nations. To go tempt. Now, who are the nations? Who would we read in Matthew chapter or Luke chapter 12? Who are the nations? The Gentile nations. Those that are outside the kingdom. He's not tempting us. Because we have come back with him. We are ruling and reigning with him. We're setting things in order on the earth that we're going to occupy for eternity. But what will Satan do? He'll go tempt the nations. And what will happen? He'll get some of them to fight against God. In the first battle, who came back and destroyed the, the, those armies? Jesus, the king. In the second battle, God does it. Why does God do it in the second battle? All authority and all powers. See, if you, if you don't study the whole Bible, you don't see what God could have done in the garden to the devil if Adam had not legally given away authority. Because Adam legally gave away the authority, God could not do anything to the devil. But after the thousand-year reign and all authority has been given back to him, he destroys the devil's armies with the fire of his mouth and kicks the devil into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever because all authority has been given back to him by the king that sits on our heart. Glory to God. And I am not going to shed one tear for that sucker. I'm not going to shed one tear for him. Good riddance. Good riddance. I might just hit him in the back of the head. Just pop. Just turn my ring around and pull. Amen. Turn my class ring around and just thump him real hard. Amen. Or maybe not. I might not even care. But do, do, do you understand this? So important. He has an everlasting dominion. So why do people talk like there's a problem? Why do we think there's a problem? Well, do you see the price of things? Do you live in the kingdom? What did the Lord say to us? He said, when they start talking that, what's your answer? I do not expect to be affected. I have not been affected, and I won't be affected. Well, what are you going to do about this, that, and the other, or if this, or that, or that, or what are you going to do about this? What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? Now, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not in a dream world. This is how I live. He said, all these things will be added to me out of the kingdom. Now, think about this for a moment. Am I helping you with this? When God told Elijah... Go to the brook Kidron, right? And it says that I'll feed you there. Is that right? And we've talked about our place called there. But what happened? What happened in the morning and in the evening? Who? The, the who? What are ravens? Birds. Birds brought him... Food in the morning and food in the evening. Is that right? Okay, the brook dries up. Now go to Zarephath because I have prepared a widow woman there, 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 there. To, where's your place called there? Yes, it's where the will of God is. It's in the kingdom. You're already there. Amen. And for kingdom people, however God's got to do it, he'll do it. 
There, are no, there is no Kroger in heaven. There's no price chopper in heaven. You don't go shopping for milk in heaven. There are no heavenly shopping carts with easy listening music playing. Nah, 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 nah. It's, right? Gabriel sacking groceries. No. Right? Think about that. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It says down the middle of that city, there's a river that runs down the middle of that city. And on either side of that river are fruit trees. And that the fruit is for the healing of the nations. People say, well, don't we have to eat in heaven? You don't have to eat in heaven. You get to eat in heaven. You eat in heaven because you want to, not because you have to. But the point is, even there, there's fruit, fruit that heals the nations. When you start getting a kingdom, and I'm talking about the king, when you start getting a kingdom concept, you begin to see how much lack is not supposed to be involved in your life. And the more you get that concept, the more you get frustrated with lack and the more you want to kick it out of your life. Because if you're not willing to make the hard decisions to get rid of lack, what's causing the lack? I better not get into that. Did, did we go to, uh, where, where did I tell you to go? Luke what? Luke 1, why did I tell you to go there? I don't know. No, I do know. Verse 32, he shall be great and be called the son of the highest. The Lord will give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Now. He will return as a king. First Timothy chapter six. Mm. We'll be done in a few minutes, a few moments, a little while. Verse 14, first Timothy six and verse 14. That you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed, notice this phrase, and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light that no man can approach unto, who no man has seen nor can see, to him be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So notice, in his times, when he returns, he will show who's the blessed and only potentate. That word potentate is royal minister of great authority. And he will show that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19. And uh, verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now, there's two white horses mentioned in the book of Revelation. There's one white horse mentioned in the first part of the book of Revelation. And it says that he that sat upon him was given a crown, and that he had a bow and he went forth to make war. Now, I've read commentaries that says that's Christ. Well, it's not Christ. Who is it? Anti-Christ. Looks like Christ, not Christ. And there's, power, there's a powerful revelation there. He had to be given a crown. He has no authority of his own. It had to be given to him. Also, the devil could, uh, a bow and arrow constitutes a lethal weapon. 
But the devil could give him a bow, but he couldn't give him any arrows. When you read through the book of Revelation, what you find out about the Antichrist is that he never governs the world. And yet people will preach and teach that he does. But he doesn't. Never. Never governs the whole world. Why? Because no one will ever govern the whole world but Jesus Christ. This is important. Because if, 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 you, think, if you think that he has absolute power... You're missing something. Because when you read through the book of Revelation, the only one, notice what it says, the only one that has absolute power is Jesus. Hallelujah. And so this white horse is the king of kings. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. Now notice, that's not about his people. When you read through the book of Revelation, what does it say over and over again? What do the angels say over and over again about the judgments of God, the judgments of the Son? Your judgments are true. Your judgments are just. Your judgments are right. And so he's saying there are going to be people that he's going to judge and make war with, but it's, it's, it's righteous judgment. All right? His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. Why? He's the king of kings. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. That's the standard. The word of God. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's you and I. All right, Enoch, remember what Enoch prophesied? What did he prophesy? He said the Lord shall return with what? Ten thousands of his saints. Amen. And so he's coming back with the armies in heaven, with the people of God. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he smites the nations. And he rules them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And on his vesture and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. So the one who is the living word is the King of Kings. Amen. He's no longer in the manger. He's no longer on the cross. No longer in the tomb. He is the King of Kings. He is the king of kings. Now, there are people that are living their life tonight like they can do whatever they want, and the king's okay with it. The king's not okay with that. Just because you can do something doesn't mean it's okay. That's important. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Notice what's mentioned here with his coming. Notice what's mentioned here with his coming. Judgment. Is that right? And the wrath of Almighty God. Who's bringing the wrath of Almighty God? Who's bringing it? Okay, it's right there in black and white. The king. Jesus. Yeah, but he reserves his wrath for his enemies. So he's coming back to the earth, and who's he considered the people that he's judging? Who are they? Enemies of God. Why are they enemies of God? They didn't make the choice. This, this is important to understand. He doesn't call himself a king in name only. Not just in name only. He's your king, or he's not. He's your Lord. Or he's not. He governs your life or he doesn't. There are lukewarm Christians that are hoping and banking on the fact that some years ago they said a prayer and so they're okay. They don't come to church. They don't spend time in the Word. They don't live for God. 
They do what they want, when they want, the way they want. And they don't understand that they will one day stand before their king. They'll stand before their king. And judgment will be passed. And people say, well, they'll make it. How do you know? I thought Jesus said to the, to the church of Laodicea, he said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I thought there was a, book, a, a group of people that stood before Jesus and said, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We did these things in your name. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. The word is, I never approved of you. What does it take? People will say, now understand what I'm saying when I say this. What does it take for him to approve of me? Now, in the day and age we live in, people will say, well, you know, God approves of you. He, he, he approves of you. You know, Jesus, Jesus died for you, so, so God approves of you. Now, what, I understand what you're saying. But why does the Bible tell us things like, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Why does, right? Seek ye first the kingdom. Why does the Bible tell us, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Now, now understand, this is not condemnation. I'm saying there are people that are not, that, that, are, that would tell you they're born again, but yet they're living like they have another king besides Jesus. Right? And you know what the Bible calls that? Adultery. Fornication. You're trying to be in bed with the world and still be married to Christ. That's why Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, don't you know the person that joins himself to a harlot is one body with that harlot? You're either one with the world or one with Christ. It can't be both ways. It can't be both ways. If he's my king, he calls the shots. Does that make sense? Because when my life was a wreck and I brought the king in, I allowed the king in, and he started calling the shots, isn't it amazing how your life straightened out? Not everybody in here, but there's some in here, you remember how, what your marriage was like when you met the king, and you went to the king, and the king straightened the thing out. The king has earned the right to call the shots. Why? He died for you. That's important. Do you, do you remember this? I'm closing. See, you see, I'm folding my notes. It means nothing, but no, it does. I'm, I'm, I'm getting you out of here. I know you got to go. I know you got to go. I know you got to go. But, but, but uh, uh, Lord, help me remember where I was. Uh, what was I talking about? Yeah, he, 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 he died for us, right? He paid the price for you and me. He's earned the right to tell me what to do. Amen. Do, do, do you see that? And for me to live my life, like I can just do whatever I want. And he'll just forgive me. That's sacrilegious. That is really tempting God to say, I'm going to go do something that I know is sinful and God will just have to forgive me. Says who? I thought the Bible said that if you sin willfully, you keep doing what you know is not right. I might be saying this for somebody online. I don't know. But you... you, you, you Time is so short, we can't play. Listen, everybody that knows me knows I am, I am the redemption, love, grace preacher. All right? God looked beyond my fault and saw my need. God loves everybody with an unconditional love. But he still told us some things. And he's still a king. Amen? Hallelujah. And he's my king. 
your king. Let's stand up tonight, shall we? Amen. Oh, hallelujah. There's a lot of good things going on. Hallelujah. And so we'll be back together the first Sunday in January. So God's good to us. Amen. Pastor Michelle will be here this Sunday. And uh, God's going to do some wonderful things. So if we don't see you before, then have a Merry Christmas. And a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time with your family and those that you're with. You know, sneak the gospel in there. You know, when you pray over the presence, just thank you, Lord. Jesus is going to return soon. Hallelujah. We want to be ready. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God's good. Amen. Well, come on, say it with me tonight, would you? The vision of our church will always be to build people's faith and frame their world by the word of God. You and I will always be world changers. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this message. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or want to share how this message has helped you, send us an email at main at buildfaith.net. This message and many more materials are available to you free of charge, can be found at buildfaith.net or at any of our location media stores. As always, keep the switch of faith turned on and build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God.